Once again, please turn back with me to uh, the Gospel of St. Luke, um, chapter 15. And we will actually um, look at more than just the 24th verse that was read. Um, because it's pretty lengthy, um, I didn't want to read it twice. So uh, Luke, chapter 15, we'll actually read verses 11 through 32. That'll be our focal point for this morning. And this morning, we're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son told by Jesus. And usually when it comes to Jesus' parables, or really anything that Jesus says, um, it's kind of easy to think of Jesus as just walking around and um, saying things arbitrarily. Um, just thinking of wise words to say to the people who are around him and who's following him. And because it's Jesus giving this advice or saying these things, then those words become important because it's Jesus. But um, that's definitely not the case. In fact, most of what Jesus says um, in the New Testament is prompted by something that someone has asked and is usually a response that Jesus is given to someone. Either somebody has um, asked him a question, uh, think of Nicodemus or the rich young ruler, if you're familiar with those stories in the scriptures, or maybe somebody has done or said something, maybe even thought something um, in their minds, and Jesus critiques, he corrects, and he teaches uh, that person or those people what they obviously don't know, and that's exactly um, what happens here with the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus didn't just stop and out of the blue um, come up with a story, this story, to, to show how wise he was, um, and though he is. See, someone said something, and what they said, Jesus had an issue with. So to address the issue, Jesus actually tells three uh, parables, this being the last, to address exactly what was said and who said it. Um, so what was it that was said and who was it that said it? Well, verse two in this same chapter tells us. And Luke 15, verse two says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, and speaking about Jesus here, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus responds. Well, that brings us back to Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And this is God's word. And he said, again, speaking of Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? 
but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Reading this parable um, with an understanding, understanding of what actually happened at the beginning of chapter 15, that is, uh, the comments made by the scribes and Pharisees, I think helps um, us to get a lot more out of this parable and this passage than we sometimes do. Because this, this isn't just um, a story that can give reassurance to the sinner who knows that they are sinners. But it is a warning. Um, it serves as a warning that should give a wake-up call to the sinners who don't think that they are. And that's really the main point of this parable by Jesus. If I had to give a title to the message, I will call it a mandate to never, ever despise grace. Because that's what Jesus is doing here. He's given a mandate to never despise God's grace, which unfortunately is the habit of, of some, whether they realize it or not, and it's not just the grace that has been given to you. It's easy for us to, uh, to enjoy and to um, make an argument for the grace that we received. That's man's nature as being a fallen creature. When it comes to us, it's okay, but Jesus here is specifically looking at the grace that others need initially to be saved, but also brothers and sisters in their daily battle against sin. Do not despise the grace of the Father. 
And so what Jesus does and the way that this is laid out, and we'll basically follow um, the outline that the parable kind of lends to us itself. Jesus goes through three characters and he shifts from each one in this story to make that point. And so without, um, without waiting, we'll note this, we'll look at it, starting with the first person and the condition that they are in. And so Jesus starts first, if you see verse 12, with the unworthiness of the young son. Verse 12 tells us um, that the son goes to his father and he says to him, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. If you, if you look closely, he's making an, an almost unlawful request to his father. Think about the Old Testament. Think about how the inheritance um, of the father was actually passed down to his descendants. It was usually at the time of the father's death that the inheritance was given and split. But this son doesn't want to be home. He's done with it, wants nothing to do with his father, nothing to do with his family. And he makes this request, and I guess out of the father's love for him, he, he, he for some reason grants this request. But then notice that when the son does receive this inheritance, notice also his unworthiness as he doesn't even seem to really value the inheritance that has been given. Verse 13 tells us that not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered the property, cashed it in, gave it away, spent it without any remorse, quickly. And some of us were, were parents, parents to older kids, and you may have had the experience of seeing a child um, take something that you maybe worked hard, hard for to supply, and you see them just squander it, break it, not take care of it, and the pain and agony that that causes. And it kind of, it kind of shows you, it gives you a, gl a glimpse of just how fallen we are, even in your child. This son is, is, is proving his unworthiness. Jesus is highlighting just how unworthy of a young man this is. Not only does he uh, seem to not value that inheritance, and it kind of reminds you, it echoes Jacob and Esau. Esau, who gave away his birthright for a meal. And the New Testament has something to say about that. It's not pretty good. The good condition of his heart is magnified in that act. But it gets worse. When we go on to verse 13, uh, we read that the son is now involved in maybe some questionable living. It says that he, uh, he lived recklessly in the ESV. Some version says riotous living or even loosely. And from what we read later on in this chapter, we see that he um, wasn't just spending money unwisely. That's enough to drive someone crazy, but he has prostitutes. He's partying. And that's what the world, world does. The flesh sometimes makes that which is not good look very good. And we feel like we're missing something. And it's what happened with Adam. And again, this does, uh, I think, gives us a glimpse of that son, Adam, who went out, had everything that his father gave him, but for one piece of fruit, he gave it all up, squandered it away, and um, he, he showed his unworthiness. 
So Jesus is showing us the unworthiness of the son. And by verses 15 and 16, brothers and sisters, the son is basically cut off. He goes to someone in that country um, and he asks for a job. And this son is working with pigs, even desiring to eat the food, the slop that the pigs eat. And we know, according to the Old Testament law, uh, because of the mandate that God gives um, about the unclean animals, the pig became one of the, the greatest symbols in Israel of uncleanliness. And this son, Jesus shows us, is on the level of the pig, of the swine. He's cut off. He's unworthy. And Jesus makes that point clear. Jesus has painted a picture of a young man who is totally depraved, he's sinful, he's unworthy, and maybe at this point when you read this story, you might not even like this guy. Maybe unlikable to you. Unworthy. And you may look in this story, you may also say, there am I. And that wouldn't be a bad thing, brothers and sisters. It's ironic in seeing just how unworthy and sinful we are. That in that, God is showing that he's really doing something. And so this young man, he doesn't say in this condition. And that's the good part of this story. And that's the part, that's where we think this story actually climaxes at. We think it's the son who knows that he's wrong. He's a sinner. He's gone out. He sinned against the father. He shows himself unworthy, but then he comes to himself. And that's what the scripture says. He went out, he comes to himself, and he realizes, why am I here? I have a father who can supply so much more. I'll go. I'd rather be a servant in my father's house than to be left in this condition. And I remember when I was young, growing up, 17, 18 years old, um, coming out of high school, being in places that I probably shouldn't have been, um, being around people and things that I probably um, it would have been wiser to, to, to abstain from, and coming home and thinking about this passage and how, man, I got to get back. This doesn't feel right. But that's not the point. Jesus has magnified the unworthiness of this son and he's put it on full display. And right now at this point, the sin of this son is all we see, how great of a sinner he is. But brothers and sisters, as good as it is that he's realized that and he's coming back from that, that's not the point. That's not the best part of the story. Jesus has done that so he can now shift to the second character and their condition so that he, he can highlight something even bigger than this young man's sin, something greater, brothers and sisters. And that brings us to the second thing that Jesus focuses in on, the second thing that we need to note and see, and that is the acceptance of the father. We go from the unworthiness of the son put it on full display so that now we can make much of and really understand just how beautiful the acceptance of the father is compared to the sin of the son. I'm, um, I'm going to take a big chance here. Is there anybody who, um, who has heard of the show? There's a show, a TV series called Power. Anybody ever? Oh. Now, I, I personally, um, I've I haven't seen one episode of it. But I hear enough about it. So many people like it. Um, I don't know anything about it. I do know that there is this one person that everyone seems to not 
like. And I, I called my brother just to check and make sure I had it right. But there's someone named Tariq who no one seems to, um, to really be too fond of. And I called my brother to ask, hey, listen, how, do, you, do you watch the show? And if you don't, don't worry. I, I haven't seen it either. Um, but for those who do, I called my brother and I asked, um, hey, do you know, have you ever seen the show Power? He's like, yeah, I've seen it. I've heard of it. I'm like, hey, who's the guy that everybody um, can't stand? Is it Tariq? He said, yeah, yeah, that'll be him. You know, nobody really on the show is too good. But, yeah, I think that's the one who's the worst. Nobody likes him. And I asked him why. Why don't they like, what's the problem with this man? And um, who is he? And so there's another character on the show called Ghost, right? Ghost. And that's uh, Tariq's father. And my brother told me, well, yeah, the reason people really don't like him is because he's always rebelling against his father. I said, oh, how fitting. Okay. Well, I went away from that, and I, you know, I was just hoping, man, is there something that Tariq could do? I started praying for Tariq. Um, so that they could, he, he can do something to win over everybody so they can stop coming to me and telling me how much they hate Tariq. Um, but knowing how that works, you may have a show that you enjoy where there's an antagonist, a bad guy, who you just can't see him changing. You can't find yourself to come to like this guy. And I think that's the situation with Tariq. Um, and it's funny. It's funny in this illustration. But it gives us a picture of a sad reality. And brothers and sisters, that's the truth that sometimes there's people who some may look at and they've done so much wrong. Their sin is on full display. And because of that, they just can't see how this person can ever become likable, um, how this person can ever be redeemed. Um, and sometimes people act like there's actually no room for grace for these people. It's a sad reality. And what makes it even more troubling, brothers and sisters, is that sometimes this happens in our own churches. There are people who we cut off and we think that there's no hope for them. Maybe somebody else, but not this person. They've done this too many times or it's, they, they've done, they really went out on a limb this time and they've done something and they can't come back from this. And we can't even hide our disdain for these people. Brothers and sisters, this happens with those who have tasted of God's grace themselves, who have been saved by God's grace. But in turn, um, we get to a point where we think that it's no longer God's grace, it's us. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at here. Jesus has set the story up in such a way that you can't miss the unworthiness and the sinfulness of the son. But brothers and sisters, you cannot miss the full display of the Father's grace and his acceptance. Again, by magnifying the sin of the Son, Jesus is able to magnify even more the grace of the Father. And that's what we read about in Romans uh, 5, verse 20, that sin came into the world. And that trespass, it shows us that, yes, sin increases and it is abounded, but where sin increased, grace all the more increased and abounded. Jesus is in no way diminishing the ugliness and the seriousness of sin. And I think that's where people confuse it. We love God so much. We've been saved. We've been given a new spirit. We have a taste for godliness. And we want to see sanctification. And sometimes it drives us to a point of, of um, a disposition against grace. 
because of how much we want to see sanctification. And Jesus is not saying that sin is okay, that we don't take it serious, but he is telling us that sin, no matter how dark, how deep, brothers and sisters, it is never a match for God's saving grace. Grace is so much more powerful. And so how do we see the Father's grace? What does it look like, his grace and his acceptance? Well, verse 20. In verse 20, the Father, the Son is coming home. And notice, before the Son even gets there, it says that he arose, he came to his Father. But while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and felt compassion. Brothers and sisters, I can't help but think that the father never gave up on his son. He's out waiting. Maybe every, every day there's a certain time that he goes out just to see if the son may be coming home. Every day. And on this particular day, God answered his prayers. He's out and a long way off. He sees a familiar frame. It's his son on his way home. This father never, ever gave up. As vile as his son became, as sinful as he was, His father did not give up on him. But then how else do we see the father's acceptance and his grace? Well, the depth of his love runs so deep that if you look at it, the father seems to um, he, he seems to be willing to make himself almost look foolish. And kind of overshadow his his dignity. For the love of his son, it says that the father ran. And embraced him. He ran out. An old man, can you picture that? An old man, maybe pulling up his robe, running with the sandals on. This old man, looking foolish, running to his son to embrace him and kiss him. And we hear about that often. A lot of people decide to reject reject the gospel, reject Christianity, because an all-powerful God who's all holy and all righteous Forgiving sinners who sinned against him doesn't make sense. It's foolishness. You pay for whatever it is that you've done. You commit a crime. You have to serve the time. You have to make good. You have to make up for what it was that you've done. It's total foolishness. Paul speaks about this. Even Peter. He says that uh, what we preach, if it's not true, would it be pity among all people? And so it is with this, um, this father. He's willing to look foolish as he welcomes his son. And as evident as his son's unworthiness is, the father goes on and we continue to see his acceptance and love as he accepts his son in. His son is thinking that I'll go back and at the very, the, the most, listen, I'll be a servant for my father. I'll work for him. But the father has other plans. Midway through the the son's speech that he practiced, he heard him practice that speech. This is what I'm going to say to my father when I see him. Midway through, the father just stops him dead in his tracks. He embraces him. He kisses him. And the father, he calls out his servants. He says, listen, bring the best. Bring the best robe. Put it on him. Bring a ring. Maybe it had a seal in it. We get a picture of his adoption. Bringing that son back and restoring him to where he was, not bringing him in as a servant, elevating him back to his side as his son. And in verse 22 and 23, we see that that, that sonship. But then the son, 
Um, and this is the good news for us, brothers and sisters. This is a picture of the gospel um, that hopefully gives you joy today. Because often we find ourselves back into this situation. The son isn't just a picture of the sinner who has been born into sin and finally comes out of that sin. Brothers and sisters, it's a picture of the sinner who has been saved but may continue to struggle, will continue to struggle with sin. And constantly, over and over, the Father is welcoming us back in. And he restores us to sonship. He puts his ring on us with a seal with his name on it. He dresses us in, a, in, in, in his holiness and his righteousness. And brothers and sisters, he doesn't just tolerate us. He doesn't make us servants. He doesn't just uh, keep us in the house in the back room. He loves us. Verse 24, he celebrates us. Uh, makes me think of um, there was um, a falling out within um, the Christian community recently. Um, I think you've heard of it. There was a guy, an author, pastor by the name of Joshua Harris. He wrote a book, um, I believe it was back in the 90s, called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And um, he really um, changed uh, the, the, the Christian community and conversation um, and radicalized the way that people looked at dating, premarital sex, um, and courtship. And recently he came out and he said that he, um, well, he divorced his wife and he said that um, everything that he wrote in the book he apologized for um, because of how it, uh, I guess, chastised and stigmatize those of the LGBT community, homosexuals, and um, he apologized for that. And then he said that, um, didn't necessarily denounce that he was um, a Christian, but he did. He said that according to what, everything that he knows about Christianity, based on that, he wouldn't be able to consider himself a Christian. And it's tragic, it's sad, but what saddens me the most is when I hear that story, told by Christians, they follow it up. They treat him kind of like Tariq. Like this man is, uh, his life is done, he's unredeemable. No prayer offered to him, but they quote uh, what Jesus said that, listen, if they go out from us, they never were, were of us to begin with. And brothers and sisters, um, in this, I just think back to the Father's welcome to the Son. I think of the Joshua Harris's whose life and story isn't written yet. If he dies in this condition, yes, uh, he's not a Christian. But who knows, as he continues to battle with this, our job is to pray for this man, to pray that God works on his heart, calls him back, brings him back, enlightens him. Uh, he's not, no one is, unredeemable, cut off. Brothers and sisters, the final point of, of what Jesus is trying to show us. There's two sons here. Two sons. And it may not be evident who the one is. Yes, there's a younger son and the older son in this story, but those are not the two sons that we're focused on. Well, one is, but there's another son. And we ask ourselves, which son are we like? Which son are we in this story? And Jesus brings us now from the first character, his total unworthiness, to the second character, the father showing his welcome, his grace for the son, and how much more it outshines the sin of that son, to the third character and his condition. So lastly, 
we look at the complaint of the older brother. The unworthiness of the younger son, the acceptance and grace of the father, and then the complaint of the older son or the older brother. And we read about that in verse 25. Again, it says, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called out to one of the servants, and he asked, what do these things mean? The servant told him that your brother has come home. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he was received back safe and sound. But verse 28, but he, speaking of the older son, was angry, and he refused to go in. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is given this parable as a response, remember, to what the Pharisees and the scribes said at the beginning of chapter 15. They saw Jesus sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners. And these Pharisees, who had heard of God's word, they encountered God. They had his word. They knew what thus said the Lord. They had everything that they needed uh, to be put in close relationship with God almost but these were the very people who act the furthest from God they looked at the sinners they saw them as totally unredeemable and because of that they looked at Jesus and even despised him too and Jesus is telling the story and in this this story we have the Pharisees and the scribes and the older brother we see the people who think that they have obtained They have met the mark, and they are so high that anybody else who is not there is to be looked down upon. And Jesus has an issue with that. Jesus calls it out, and he tells us this. And brothers and sisters, it takes us back to Cain and Abel. The same contention that we see with the older brother and the younger. Well, the older brother is upset because the younger brother has been accepted by God. You remember the story Abel offers Uh, one of the the sheep that he herds. Cain offers uh, the fruit and the vegetables of the ground. And it says that God had regard for Abel's sacrifice, but for Cain's, he did not. Doesn't tell us exactly why, but if we look at scripture and we put all the things together, it makes sense that maybe because Cain offered an offering that God did not call for, while Abel offered a blood sacrifice that God had obviously called for, um, Abel was accepted. Either way, Cain goes out upset with the father and hating his brother, and he kills his brother. And brothers and sisters, that contention has been going on ever since. The seed of the serpent battling the seed of the woman. And we see it here with the older brother who is just upset that the father has accepted this man in. And the, the older brother isn't just mad at the father. Brothers and sisters, he's upset at what it is that the the younger brother stands on to be accepted back. It's the grace of the father. So also something else to look at here. If you notice in the other two parables, if you have time, read them. The one about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And you'll see that in both of those parables, there's something there that we don't have in this last parable of the prodigal son. And that is, in those other two parables, There's someone who actually goes out and searches for what was lost. But if you read this parable, yes, the father was waiting and he never gave up and he stood there. But there was no one who actually went out to pursue and find this lost 
son. And there's a reason for that. Again, Jesus is making a contrast between the two brothers. And it's not the first younger brother who's the sinner. That's us. That's everyone born after Adam. But it's the contrast between this older brother and the better older brother, Jesus himself. This older brother should have been out looking for this, his, his younger brother. He should have been out to tell his younger brother, Father has been waiting. Every day he has not given up on you. He loves you. Come home. But he didn't. But then Jesus, Jesus, the better older brother, brothers and sisters, he's wrapped, he's wrapped himself in human flesh. He's come out of the house of heaven. And he came looking, searching for us. And he found us. And he's told us that the father has been waiting, that he loves us. And by the sacrifice of this, this older brother, by the sacrifice of Christ, brothers and sisters, God welcomes us back. So there's the unworthiness of the younger son, us. But God has, by his spirit, brought us to ourselves. He's opened our, our, our spiritual eyes to see our condition. And he's brought us back home to him. And there we meet the welcome of the father, his grace and acceptance. But sometimes that's met with the condition and the complaint of the righteous who think they're righteous but are not. And there's still hope for them. The father comes out when the older brother doesn't want to come in. There's still hope for those with the, the spirit of the Pharisees who thinks that they are better and that there are some who are cut off forever. There's hope for them. There's grace for them too. But brothers and sisters, as we close, two things that we want to see. Number one, in this younger son is us and we can come to the Father. Not just initially, upon conversion and being justified and saved and redeemed, regenerated. But brothers and sisters, in this journey as Christians, as we continue to fall, if we say that we are without sin, we are liars. The truth is not in us. But know that daily you can come back to the feet of the Father and he's there ready to accept you. Open arms. And yes, we use that grace and that love to charge us up to abstain from sin. But when we do fall, we have we have Christ, we have grace. But then secondly, not only recall to know that we can come home to the father, but as those as the older brothers and sisters ourselves, we have a command to share in the father's welcome. Do you share in that welcome? Do you enjoy seeing those who we think are cut off and cannot be redeemed? Do you enjoy seeing the good news of the gospel offered to them? Do you tell of the good news to those who some think there's no hope for? Do you share in that welcome? When they come into the church, do you find a seat somewhere else afar off and wonder why they're here? Or do you make it your effort to sit with them, love them? Constantly remind them of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, let us be mindful that God has, has showed us that we we're unworthy. But he showed us that as unworthy as we are, there's something that trumps our sin, and it's his grace. 
And let us be reminded that we never, we should never ever despise that grace. We should never ever get tired of forgiving, being merciful, and bearing with the sins of our brothers and sisters and the lost. And let us share in the welcome of the Father. We'll partake of the table today. We'll sit down and we'll eat and we'll celebrate. And we pray that, I pray that we do that with open hearts and minds, um, sharing in the welcome of the Father. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, Lord, we bow before you, asking that you will uh, continue to uh, guide us by your spirit in all that we do. Help us to see our failures, God, our sins, um, the ones that are evident and easy to see, but even those that hide and um, camouflage themselves. Help us, God, to have hearts that share in welcoming your people home and back. Have us to have hearts that do not despise grace, that do not think that there's um, a limit to your mercy, but bless us to have hearts that constantly um, forgive and call back uh, those who have, who have sinned. Bless us as we partake of your table today. Again, uh, show your grace through the eating of the flesh and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask that you bless us with these and all things in his name. Amen. 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 Um, we will go ahead and prepare um, to partake of the elements. Um, if you are a visitor or if you're someone who wishes to leave at this time, um, you are not obligated to do so, but you do have the freedom to do it if you so choose. Um, we would hope that you would stay because, again, in this, God's grace is put on full display. The choir can come down um, as we prepare to fence off the table. Open up to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and we will read verses 1 through 25 as our preparatory scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 25.